Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Oren Davis about finding flow in work and in daily life. Davis, welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. Great to be back. Yeah, I'm so excited to continue our discussion. Last time, we had a really fun conversation about employee well-being, inclusion, and becoming an employer of choice. And I would encourage listeners to go back and check out that episode. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about finding flow in work and daily life. Uh, it's such an intriguing topic uh, to me, and I'm, I'm really excited to have a good conversation about it. As we get started, I just wanted to share Oren's bio with everyone. Oren Davis earned uh, his doctorate in positive psychology and is a self-actualization engineer who enables people to do and be their best. He consults for companies from startups to multinationals on hiring strategies, culture, innovation, diversity, equity, and inclusion and employee well-being, and coaches people at all levels on building self-knowledge and developing personal growth trajectories. As a principal investigator of the Quality of Life Laboratory, he conducts research on flow, creativity, hypnosis, and mentoring. Dr. Davis also serves as a professor of creativity, entrepreneurship, and business uh, and psychology, and gives workshops and lectures globally about human capital, creative, uh, creativity and innovation, and positive psychology. He is a startup advisor who helps early stage companies enhance their value propositions, pitches, culture, and human capital, and writes and speaks avidly about human capital, creativity, and innovation, and positive psychology. Uh, again, great uh, to have you back, uh, and, and I'm super excited to have a conversation. Anything else you would like to share by way of personal background, um, context, introduction, as, before we get started? Well, just since we're going to be talking about flow, I've been I've been at that for a really long time. Uh, it's uh, I was just musing on the fact that I started doing research on flow about 13 years ago, uh, when I when I started grad school. So like, it's it's been a long time, and I, I've and just reflecting on 13 years of it as you're talking about it and realizing that that's what we're going to be talking about. It's actually fun to reflect on, you know, the fact that I've done this for over a decade, and it's been you know very exciting, like digging into the theory of flow. I uh, actually had lab meeting earlier this week. Um, we're, we're working on some new projects and uh, doing some new analyses, and hopefully we're going to get more insight into what flow is and how it works. It's still quite a mystery. Yeah, well, well good. I, I mean, that's, that's awesome um, that you have so much uh, time and experience and expertise, you know, around this topic. And so let's start there, though. Let's, let's start with flow. What, what is flow? How does it work? Obviously, you just mentioned it's still a mystery. We haven't figured it all out yet, uh, but it's a really interesting concept and phenomenon. 
So why don't you frame that up a little bit for us and for the listeners, and then we can go from there. Sure. So often we think of flow as like the optimal experience. Colloquially, people talk about it as being in the zone, but really it's a, it's a feeling of being able to put forth your best focused efforts towards a meaningful challenge that is specifically something where you're engaged in the activity specifically for its own sake. Where you're doing it, you're intrinsically motivated to do it. You're doing it uh, for the process of engaging in the activity and you just feel like you're moving along with the activity. You know what you're supposed to do. You know how to do it. You're putting forth a lot of effort and in retrospect, it's an amazing experience. Often uh, goes along with what uh, Bendora calls mastery experiences that, that really build your self-efficacy. So it's often a growth experience. It's a positive experience. Uh, one of the most interesting things that people don't realize is that it's a positive experience only in retrospect, not in the moment. <laughs> That's actually one of the first things about flow that I really need to, you know, get people to, to wrap their minds around is that, you know, flow is fun when you look back over the experience. But if you stop and think about it, when you're working on a really significant challenge and you're applying high levels of effort to a challenge, that's going to be hard. Like, you know, that's the moment when you're, you know, pushing really hard, when you're expending the effort and you're, you're, you're almost like grunting with the amount of effort you got to put in here. And even though it feels effortless, you know, that's, that's almost like a retrospective view of it. It's not necessarily a happy moment. It's the, the happy moment is the, the, that moment after you nailed it, not the moment while you're nailing it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's certainly a stretch moment, right? Like you're referring mm -hmm. to it's, it's not easy. Um, and so it, that's the, I think that's where the confusion comes. You know, people think mm -hmm. this flow um, space, this effortless space, that, but that doesn't mean easy. It just means you're, you're, you're in the groove, you know, is another common uh, terminology that we use. And mm -hmm. I think, I think about, uh, some of my experiences, um, you know, a lot of what I do and a lot of the things I produce and the productivity that I have, I have to admit, it's not me being in a place of flow. It's just me being consistent. It's me being, you know, disciplined. It's me putting in the work, putting in the time. And then you, you know, you get into habits and you produce. Um, but I do have those, those, those times where I'm working on a project or I'm working on, I'm writing something or I'm, or I'm trying to hash out some thought, you know, like in terms of academic research, maybe I'm trying to, uh, to really uh, pull out, you know, some sort of uh, framing or uh, theoretical thinking or, you know, something that's really abstract and trying to get it down into, into something that uh, I can, I can grapple with. And there, there have been times where I don't really know how else to explain it other than it just felt like it was flow. It was, it was like this yeah. kind of pure, like, insight and revelation almost to my mind you know of like what to do and how to do it and it wasn't I mean it, it was effortless in the sense that it was flowing but it was not easy and and it was mentally taxing and when I was done I was exhausted but you know it but it was incredible what I produced you know I wish I could do that all the time um, but I definitely can uh, look back on times where that has occurred and it's it's quite amazing. The thing is, you, you actually don't want that happening all the time. If you think about how tired you were afterwards, could you imagine what would happen if that was your whole day? You, like you'd be needing, you know, maybe 16 hours of sleep and only able to function <laughs> for about eight hours. I mean, and that, you know, only, only in stretches. 
Uh, people, people talk about spending the day in flow. No, you can't spend the day in flow. You don't want to spend the day in flow. That's going to be, that's going to be an exhausting process. Uh, and the idea, the idea of finding flow, you know, on a daily basis, it's great if you can do it. Most people can't. Um, and it's pretty hard to encounter. Um, and even when you can, it, there's shorter periods, maybe an hour, two tops. But you're not really you're not really seeing people going through flow all day, and you know flow is not something that you can turn on and off. Which, by the way, is one of the biggest mistakes everybody makes about flow. And this is you know this is like the number one myth that like please make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. Flow is not a state. It's something that we thought you know early research by Csikszentmihalyi really did reflect on flow as a state. As the research evolved, we came to realize that's not what it is. Uh, it's an emergent experience, and it's too complex to be a specific state, right? Complex experiences don't have clear-cut boundaries where you can say you're in this, you're not in this. It's a state. It's not in a state. It's something you can trigger. It's something you, can, you can't trigger flow. You can't, you know, go into flow on demand. It's impossible, in part because flow is too complex and has too many moving parts. There are a couple things that really prevent that, one of which is, the autotelic aspect of flow, the idea that you're engaged in the activity for its own sake. You can't turn your, you can't turn your intrinsic motivation on like a switch. That's the first thing. Turning your focus on, yes, absolutely. You can get some of the prerequisites to flow with a switch, and that's good. And if you can train yourself to do that, that's awesome, but that's prerequisite. That's, that's, that's like doing a little bit of meal prep and then being able to pull that out and cook. I mean, awesome. But that's not the meal. Like your meal prep is not the meal. And if you've you know pre-cut everything for your meal prep, and then you know that that's not doing the cooking, that's not um, getting a full-fledged meal. That's not the gestalt because the meal is the gestalt, not the element. And the gestalt comes out as you cook. And when you're done cooking, it's not an actual. It's not like you start. It's not the ingredients are the meal. So you know, and, you, and thinking of the meal as something more whole and complex. Versus, you know, the way we thought of flow earlier was that, you know, if you put the pieces in, it, it just is. Um, we've, we've learned a lot since then. And, you know, we, a lot of the research on flow treats flow as some kind of just linear progression of like, well, if you put these nine elements in, you're good to go. Uh, we figured out about mm, 10, 12 years ago, and that's definitely not the deal. There are a lot of complex interactions between the, the parts of flow. And, you know, people talk about there being eight or nine characteristics of flow. Do they all need to be there? Do they all need to be there at the same time? To which degree? And those are, those are some of the mysteries that we're geeking out about now. Uh, but some early work, uh, you know, about, about 10, 12 years ago by uh, Lucia Seja and uh, some of her colleagues demonstrated very clearly that flow is darn complex and it's very hard to pin down. But because of that, it makes flow a little bit more elusive, but simultaneously the, the elusiveness and the rarity of flow combined with the positivity of the experience makes it a very precious thing. And it is something where we can, we're, we're all looking for it and we can get, you know, the bits and pieces together just in an attempt to make more of it. So when we talk about finding flow, we're really talking about, for lack of a better term, the meal prep. How do we do that? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, it's such an intriguing thing because, you know, on the one hand, you're saying we can't trigger it. We can't like we can't kind of push ourselves into the space of, of flow. 
Uh, and in fact, we wouldn't want to be in the, in, in the experience of flow continually because that would just be exhausting. Um, and yeah, I, I can totally resonate with that, you know, from the experiences that I've had in the past. Um, so the question then becomes, okay, so what? If, if, if we can't really trigger it, um, what does that mean for us as individuals? What does it mean for leaders and organizations? If they're trying to figure out how to maximize the potential of their people, we're trying to figure out how to be our most productive and effective. What does that mean for us? Like what, what, what value does this concept of flow have to organizations and how can we leverage it? Sure. So we have to differentiate, first of all, between uh, productive necessarily and productive, creative, high performance. I mean, remember that, you know, throughout, throughout business, what we want is consistent, strong performance. And that's not necessarily about flow. I mean, you know, nice if you can get it, but very unlikely. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things that you were talking about before, the idea of just making good creative habits, uh, good productive habits and making sure that you're consistent and building up that consistency is actually one of the best precursors for flow is making sure that you're able to get clear goals, that you have a way of knowing whether you are fulfilling those goals, that you have the environment in which you can focus, in which you've got all the tools, in which you can absorb yourself in what you're doing, and also to make sure that you're choosing things that are a good fit to your skill set. And that, incidentally, is one of the things that leaders, managers can do is ensure that their employees are working according to their strengths, according to their abilities, that they, that they have the freedom to do their job in ways that resonate with their best capabilities and with what they find meaningful, valuable, what they love to do. Uh, that's where you're going to really get the flow experiences. And more importantly, where you're going to get that A-plus level performance that we can sometimes get that really, you know, goes above and beyond just the basics of, you know, getting the job done. And often with that comes the flow experience, the high that comes after that, the, the, the extreme feeling of positivity, mastery, growth. But it, it's important to understand that that is not a common thing that, that, you know, if you're fortunate, you'll get maybe an hour or two of that per day. Most people get less. Um, I mean, I, I know personally, like even, you know, People say to me, you know, if you're an expert on flow, you must be getting it all the time. Just because you know how to do it, it's very hard. And, you know, I do, I do tend to have uh, flow experiences roughly every other day for me is about as good as I get. Sometimes every day it's a little better than every other day, but it's still hard because there's, there's that effort to put in. And, and just, for example, you know, we academics don't get a lot of sleep. Uh, it's one of those things that you need. You really do need to take care of your health to sleep, to be awake enough, um, to, to be getting those flow experiences, getting to that, that what, what people are calling these peak levels, for lack of a better term. You can't be at your peak all the time. And if you're, if you're not recharging enough, you can't hit that either. So that's another thing, by the way, you know, managers, leaders, don't overwork your people and give them work-life balance. If you want flow and you want high, if you want your employees to experience flow, if you want high performance, you must create work-life balance. There's no, there's no alternative to that. And if you want really high performance out of your employees and creativity, they need to be able to sign off. Uh, they need to be able to create work-life balance. They need to be able to take breaks and they need to have job control. They need to have, you know, no micromanagement, like a micromanager, none of their employees are getting flow unless they can manage to, you know, hide from their micromanager. 
but also if you want your employees to experience flow, you've got to give them the ability to decide as much as possible what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, and how they're going to do it. If you don't give them that, I mean, basically you're a micromanager anyway, <laughs> but if you're not giving them that, don't expect high performance, expect adequate performance. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it, and it's so interesting how you you keyed in on the role of discipline in, as a precursor to or setting the foundation for flow types of experiences, whether it's at work or at home, you know, whatever uh, aspect of our life we're talking about. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think of kind of the, the analogy of, of, of uh, you can't draw a full bucket from an empty well, right? So you have to mm -hmm you have to fill the well first or you have to find a reservoir of underground water, you know, where you can pull from. And so things like uh, sleep, uh, just mental, physical well-being, um, again, whether that's in our personal life or whether that's at work, finding ways to focus on our employee well-being and make sure, making sure people are practicing self-care, taking the breaks they need, uh, mentally recharging, um, taking time to practice mindfulness and, and quieting their mind um, so that they have the opportunity to, to, uh, to get into a, a mental headspace to, to have those types of experiences. I mean, I think that all of that is really important. Um, and there, you, you can find yourself having those moments without the discipline, but I, I think those are going to be pretty darn rare moments. But when we can mm -hmm. dis yeah. dis discipline ourselves um, to, to eat healthily, to get an adequate sleep to the extent we, you know, it, it's possible to, to manage our stress and anxiety, to, to practice mindfulness, to, to do all those types of things. Um, then we're going to be in a much better place to have those flashes of flow or inspiration, whatever you want to call it. And, and then we can, we can leverage those experiences. Um, I don't, I don't know, you know, what, what you think or what the research says about this, but I've, I've found times where, um, I'm having that kind of an experience. I can feel it happening as, you know, I, I can kind of sense that I'm, I'm moving into that as I'm, as it's happening. Um, but then I can also feel that I just don't have the, the reserves built up to maintain it, you know? So like, yeah. so like, it's like what you were talking about. Sometimes you, you're lucky if you get an hour or two hours. I've had times where I feel like I'm, I'm slipping in and out because I just like, I had a really rough night's sleep and, I, and I'm kind of in the zone. I'm starting to move forward, but I, you know, I get like 20, 30 minutes and then I'm, then I'm kind of like falling out of it because I'm just mentally exhausted. Um, you know, so I, we just need to give ourselves the best opportunity to be successful. And that really comes back to all of those, those elements of just good leadership and management that you were just describing, allowing for autonomy, giving people, helping people, uh, build upon their strengths, uh, uh, helping people connect to their meaning and purpose at work each and every day. All of that is just so important. The research is actually very clear that um, when we look at a flow experience, let's say an hour-long flow experience, what's actually happening is it, the flow experience uh, wavers and fluctuates a lot. So what's a little bit weird is we look back over an experience and we see it as a unit. And we don't, so we, we don't actually, we, we don't actually see the bits and pieces. We don't see the ups and the downs, but when we've been able to do research on people, you know, getting their minute to minute experiences, 
we found that, you know, at some point, the uh, characteristics that generally reflect the flow experience are higher. And sometimes those, sometimes the measures of those elements are lower. And so really, we do go into that because, you know, sustaining focus for a long period of time can be hard, but it's not just sustaining focus. It's putting high levels of skill, energy, um, and effort into, you know, approaching a challenge. And that's harder to maintain that for a long length of time, or even in a long workout. And, uh, you know, I, I actually enjoy like, you know, high intensity interval training. You know, when you're doing that, it's not that there's zero rest, it's that there's short rest, but you know, you're not, you're actually, it's not 100% sustained for the entire workout. You, you are taking breaks, even if the break is 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. That 10 second break, you're not working out, you're not putting in the effort, you are at rest. And actually, you know, when those moments happen in between, you do need to have the rest. Mm -hmm. So take it, you know, take those 10 seconds, you need them and don't sweat that. And if you need to take a break, take the break. And yes, you know what, you, you might lose, you might, you, you might lose the flow experience for the moment. It, but if you put the, if you put the effort back in, it may emerge later. And if it doesn't, if you're a disciplined person and you're, and you're actually still putting forth decent effort, even if you don't have a flow experience, you'll still perform well. Right, I mean, and, and this is the thing, like, we're talking about the difference between performing adequately, performing well, and performing uh, at the levels that are generally consistent with flow. And, like, you can still perform well without flow. And, by the way, it doesn't mean that all flow experiences are high performance. This is something, again, that people, people miss this. You can have a flow experience, and you're not performing at your best, and you can perform at your best outside of a flow experience. Like, the two are correlated, but, you know, as the statistician's mantra goes, correlation is not causation. So they, they come, they can come separately. They often come together, but that, that, that doesn't mean that they don't come separately at, at you know, significant, uh, a significant percentage of the time, even if it's not the majority. Yeah, yeah, all this is so, so interesting. And, you know, I hope as people are listening, I hope, uh, you know, you might be contemplating upon experiences that you've had, uh, you know, whether you've ever used the term flow before, you just feel those fl those flashes of inspiration. You feel like you're in the groove. Things are just coming easily, nat naturally, uh, effortlessly. Um, I think we've all experienced that. And we really what we want to do is we want to create a context um, for ourselves personally and for our employees in the workplace and our teams where we cre we create the context where these types of experiences can happen and where they can emerge. So there are definitely things you, you've already mentioned or uh, things that we can do to completely like squash any kind of creativity, innovation, or kind of flow experience. Um, the opposite is also true. If, if we, if, you know, if we get away from micromanaging, we empower our people, we, we give people autonomy and flexibility, we, we respect their, their full self and, and you know, provide for work-life balance opportunities, we encourage, not only allow for, but encourage people to take breaks, stretch breaks, walk breaks, mental breaks, uh, go get some exercise, go, you know, whatever. Like we encourage the wellness, the, the employee well-being. When we do all of those types of things, we create the context for our people, for our team to not only perform well, as you said, uh, but then have the opportunity for these kind of flow types of experiences where, where flashes of, of uh, greatness can really come. Uh, and, and, and so we just want to do whatever we can to consistently create those types of contexts and do whatever we can to eliminate 
the mechanisms, the, the policies, practices, procedures, the behaviors that diminish and really um, will squash any, any sort of that kind of creativity and innovation. Pretty much, yeah. And, you know, respecting the fact that flow is something more emergent is also pretty important. And, and just accepting that fact that, you know, you can do everything right and still not necessarily have a flow experience because it's often the convergence of a whole bunch of things. And you know what? That's okay. You'll still be giving high performance. And you might even still hit your highest levels, even without a flow experience. You know, that, that can be something else. And, you know, like one of the things that's very common in flow that we, that we still find high performers don't necessarily experience is the loss of reflective self-consciousness. It's the idea that you kind of lose the sense that I'm the person acting. Like right now, you and I were recording a podcast. So we have in the back of our minds, I'm, you know, I'm sitting with somebody recording a podcast. But when you get to a flow experience, you kind of forget about the fact that you're making a podcast. You forget a lot of those things. You forget that you're the person doing this. You just become part of the experience, part of the action. Your, yourself, your identity sort of uh, kind of goes into the background and you become part of the activity. That doesn't, that doesn't always happen for people and they can't always lose that. And there's no way to really make yourself lose it. And that's okay. Also, there's, you know, time distortion. Um, uh, time can slow down, it can speed up, but not everybody has that experience. And, and, you know, one of the questions we've had about flow is whether really all the characteristics are there, right? All, you know, the research is you know, distilled roughly nine characteristics that are consistent throughout flow. We measure flow on the basis of those nine characteristics. But I, I, I go back to, I, I will never forget this discussion I had with uh, Chick Sitnehai when, uh, you know, I did my doctorate with him and, you know, we were working together on a project and he said to me that I shouldn't be so dogmatic about, you know, the nine characteristics and, you know, that I shouldn't be so dogmatic about the theory. And I was just, you know, flabbergasted, like, you know, but, but Dr. Chick Sitnehai is your theory. He's like, right, so I'm telling you, don't be so dogmatic about it. It's, yes, exactly. And uh, that, that always, that was a very pivotal moment for me as a scientist and as a researcher was, you know, always to remember that the science evolves and you know, working with Chick Sidney High, one of the things that he was very emphatic about teaching me is that things evolve, the theory evolves. And, you know, in, in you know, the many conversations that he and I had over the course of my doctorate with him, I, I const he constantly gave lines, you know, in his own style, but you know, he would say things like, oh, that was, that was so 2000. That was so 2002. You know, yeah, that, yeah, that's what I was thinking 10 years ago, but that's not what I'm thinking now. And, you know, no matter, no matter how long I knew him, in his mind, the theory was constantly evolving and changing it. So it's like, but that's what he said in 1975. He's like, well, that was 1975, you know, that was a long time ago. And he kept reminding me the theory evolves, the theory grows, and, you know, not to be so dogmatic about what we knew about flow five, 10, 20 years ago, we're learning a lot as the years go on. And, you know, even in my own research on flow and microflow and team flow, I'm learning that flow is, you know, that, that what Dr. Shikstetni had discovered was only the tip of the iceberg. And we have, we have a lot to learn about this and that we need to be open in our understanding of the construct. And even though we've established some things, that are important and do give us a very strong foundation 
for how to look towards the future, we have a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I think that's a really healthy perspective to keep really in in all aspects of life. I, I'm I'm not a fan of dogmatism, so I think uh, we need to keep healthy uh, curiosity and skepticism, uh, and certainly within the within scientific fields, you know, that, that we're constantly pushing the edge of knowledge, right? And, and sometimes that means we have to go back and reframe some of the previous understandings um, or even reject previous understanding because of new information. Um, so that's a, that's a healthy lesson for all of us, um, regardless of the topic, but particularly as it relates to something like this, as you said, it's so complex, the interactions are so complex. Of course, over time, we're going to refine our thinking. We're going to refine our understanding of how it works how it inter how we interact with it um and for for you know leaders out there listening i hope i hope we can all um we can take away from this a, a uh, an understanding of of why we want to create these types of consistent environments where people can be their best selves and 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 uh, be their most productive their their highest performing that does mean sometimes that we will create opportunities for flow experiences to emerge um, Oren, it has been a real pleasure talking with you again. I appreciate you so much coming back to the podcast. Um, before we close, any final word? And also, um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Sure. So I, I guess the last word I'd offer on this actually has to do with the relationship between skepticism and wonder, because uh, people who know me know that I'm actually religious. Um, and I, I often get the question, how can you be both you know, religious and be a scientist? And I, I always flip the question, how could you be a scientist without being religious? Um, and one of the things is the, the juxtaposition of skepticism and wonder. You know, the, the best part about skepticism is that it shows you how little you know. It's a constant reminder of how little you know, which simultaneously feeds the wonder of just the vastness that you encounter in the world. And it's like, Yes, I'm a, you know, I'm a rationalist, I'm a positivist, I'm very skeptical of things. But, you know, at the same time, that just, that reminds me how big the universe is, how little of it I've got a grip on. And, you know, to, to contemplate that vastness, to me, that, that is, you know, in a sense, an inspiration for being religious. And, you know, and I, and I, you know, I say religion at large, and, you know, all, all the religions help us to contemplate that vastness and being skeptical means there's a lot we have yet to figure out and that, you know, as much as we know, there's even more that we don't. And so I, I encourage people to let their skepticism be fuel for wonder and not to, and not to let skepticism be something that closes it off or to let dogmatism, you know, it's funny because religions are often thought of as being so dogmatic and science as being dogmatic. And yet, you know, that dogmatism, going with the skepticism like that, that there's only one way to do it well yes we should be dogmatic in the sense that we should be firm in what we believe today but be skeptical enough to be open to change and growth tomorrow uh paraphrasing emerson uh something something to the effect of you know speak what you think today in hard words speak what you think of tomorrow in hard words even though it contradicts what you said today uh the, i forget the exact quote but it's something to that effect and i love that concept so for those who want to get in touch with me, uh, best way to find me is on Twitter and on Medium, both as Dr. Orin Davis, so D-R-O-R-I-N-D-A-V-I-S. And uh, I run the Quality of Life Laboratory. That's qllab.org, qllab.org. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Oren. It's been a real pleasure. I hope uh, listeners will reach out to Oren, find out more about what he's doing, uh, get connected with him, and perhaps there's a way that you can collaborate and that he can help you in your organization. Uh, I hope everyone continues to stay healthy and safe. I hope everyone can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day and maybe some flow experiences here or there. And I hope everyone has a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.